Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. We're going to save our 80s trivia for the end of the podcast because it's a big one. It's a big anniversary, and maybe it'll give you a chance to, you know, jog your memory about 40th anniversaries of albums since you're not very good at it. You better watch it. You better just step down very slowly now. We have a sniveling little millennial as our guest, and so he won't <laughs> he won't even know what it is either. He's not sniveling. We love him. We're gonna make him an honorary Gen Xer because he's so cool and with it, and we love him. So yeah. um, now we have not been able to cover all the breaking news with the vaccines and COVID, et cetera, which we used to cover early on. Um, but there's so many other things that we've been talking about. So we wanted to have our friend Jordan Schachtel on because he is an expert. He's following this so closely and has from the beginning. He's got another uh, big interview shortly, so we're going to get right to him. So, Jordan, welcome. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I, I, I missed the, the Gen X by a few years, but I, I was born in 89. I don't know if I can do uh, 80s trivia too well, but but at least I, I met the threshold. Oh, my gosh. You're such a child. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. I feel like you missed the window by like six years, but if you a want lot. to see Whatever. Well, we were in college, but that's okay, Jordan. Well, yeah, we give you a pass. (laughs) You're cool. So, Jordan, get us up to speed. What's happening now? What's coming out in the data? Like you just you just tell our listeners the latest and where you think all this is headed. Yeah, I mean, in in my opinion, it's pretty clear that like the evidence is showing that none of this stuff works. Um, There's a lot of studies that are now um, pretty definitively showing that like the more shots you take, (laughs) the worse out your outcome is is becoming. So um, it's quite interesting. And yet you have like the CEO of Moderna going around telling people that he's got this new mRNA shot that you can inject directly into your heart to help with your heart problems. Okay, and yeah. Then, uh, Pfizer yeah, I'm going to sign up for that right away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you sign me up. Derp. It, it's, uh, I think it, that's probably worse than Russian roulette. That's like uh, with like two bullets in the chamber, basically. And then you... Well, no, you all the bullets. Up. All the bullets. <laughs> the chamber's like, it's six bullets in the chamber. <laughs> that's That's the roulette you're playing. <laughs> Terrible. But yeah, you also have um, Pfizer now. So so by the way, like all both uh, companies are raising the prices of their shots um, like five to ten x because the government's not buying them anymore. So they're trying to make up for that lost um, infinite stream of revenue. And in addition to that, you have Pfizer now wants is making a combined flu um, COVID. Uh, injection and that's going to be mRNA based of course too so what they're trying to do is that like they're trying to um, they recognize the skepticism and they're trying to kind of like tie it into flu season we're trying to find other applications for this mRNA stuff but you know it's basically like pharmaceutical companies do this all the time like remdesivir that um that failed um, injection that that you were they were using for for COVID prior to the rollout of the mRNA shots. Remdesivir was first made for to treat like Ebola, and then they're like, hey, maybe it treats COVID, and and of course like it was a disaster. 
but that's like what big pharma kind of does all the time. So they're trying to find more applications for the mRNA shots, trying to market them. You know, these are co- these are companies with market caps and the hundreds of billions of dollars. So um, they've basically turned their businesses, Pfizer and Moderna specifically, into COVID-19 companies. So it, it's presenting a huge business risk if people are continually exposed to the reality that their shots are complete failures and poisonous to many people. So I think that's kind of where we're at. And then there's like this weird divide, especially in the United States, you know, you have like the, the true believers that are still taking their boosters and you have the universities that are um, basically making these uh, 17, 18 year old kids um, inject themselves with the Russian roulette shots. And it's just like, it, it, the pharmaceutical companies I think are in a really bad place. That, that's what makes me optimistic is that there's just more and more people who are recognizing the reality whether that is that they've personally obtained like a case of myocarditis or they continue to get um, the the flu or, or COVID despite taking, you know, five boosters at this point for it. So uh, I, I think that, you know, reality is just staring everyone in the face. Um, and then and these pharmaceutical companies are just uh, unindicted criminal entities that, um, you know, these executives, in my view, just they, they all belong in prison. Um, for fraud and deceptive marketing, and it, it's just one thing after another with these companies. They're 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 just it, it's just a giant criminal enterprise right now. Well, they've really set up a sort of situation where their claims are not falsifiable, and being falsifiable is a key tenet of scientific method. And <clears throat> what I mean by falsifiable is the goalposts change from you 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 won't get COVID then it, it's you won't spread COVID. We know those are lies. But then they're saying, well, you'll get COVID, but it won't it won't be as bad. They'll say, well, you've got COVID, but it would have been worse if you didn't have the vaccine. And that's just like, that is not a falsifiable. So that means it's not falsifiable. You can't prove it true or false. If your standard is, it would have been worse if you didn't get the vaccine, because how would you know? I mean, there's no way to test that. So um, it's it's a very uh, it's a lot of flim flam. But to what extent do you think the Twitter files has helped erode people's confidence in the pharmaceutical industry and the government? I mean, the pharmaceutical industry is e- evil and we know that. But the government is supposed to I mean, allegedly the purview of the FDA and to a lesser extent like the NIH they're supposed to do quality control, right? They're supposed to protect the citizens, um, you know, against false claims. So, but to what degree do you think the Twitter files has really like helped move this along? Or do you think it was just the cherry on top? Yeah, I think the the, the Twitter files was definitely just um, a little bit more clarity um, because as you've just discussed, like it was, three years of mayhem. And I think a lot of people got, if you want to use the term red pills about big pharma in a big way and about how the government isn't looking out for your health. Um, I, I think there's a, like, you know, you talk to like a friend like Jay Bhattacharya, you know, from Stanford who helps write the Great Barrington Declaration. And his view is a little different than mine. His view is like, okay, you know, we should be really concerned because 
no one trusts public health institutions anymore. And for me, I'm just like, oh, good. <laughs> no one trusts the government. That's 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 a positive outcome. It's not like, um, in my view, these aren't institutions worthy of reform, and they just kind of need to be uh, delegitimized and uh, hopefully destroyed someday. But like the idea that we're going to be running a, a CDC that's going to be like spitting facts and recommending good um, health uh, outcomes, I, I, I think that the, the bureaucracy is like way too institutionalized, like they just care about their pharmaceutical clients. Um, and like the best way to I think that I try to explain like these companies like Pfizer and whatnot, like these giant uh, behemoths, it's not as if everything they make is awful and poisonous, like I think the mRNA shots, but basically like they'll sell you anything. And if it's good for you or if it's bad for you or if it's just kind of like a neutral thing. But I think that's the best way to view it is like they're just, you know, Mexican drug cartel members and like some of their drugs are beneficial and some are not. But like there's really no morality in the equation because all the incentives are so corrupted. But I mean, the Twitter files have done a good job at just like making it more clear um, what these people were thinking on the other side. And I think mostly what was, was fascinating me was the uh, how the, uh, you know, our three letter agencies just kind of totally don't care about any type of like constitutional limitations. Like they were using that that teleport app and they were using, sending deleting like self deleting messages to people without a security clearance. I mean, that's kind of like a separate issue, but it just kind of shows like the overall broad theme is that the government doesn't really care about any type of limitations to their power. And that definitely showed in all arenas of the Twitter files. Jordan, can you explain how, and I don't even know, I'm not vaccinated, my family's not vaccinated. I don't even know what booster number people are on, but can you just explain <laughs> how? How compounding these shots, it appears to not just directly cause health issues, but suppress immune systems. Can you explain how that works, the buildup or else, you know, how is that interacting with people's natural immune system? Yeah, so I think the prevailing theory right now is basically that like the... Um, the what a, the booster shot and the mechanism in these shots is like depletes your um, it, it kind of like harms your immune system because it creates this um, antibody spike and it forces your uh, immune system into overdrive to fight like the cold and it kind of like exposes you to all this other nasty stuff and there's also this idea that um, when people you know receive these mRNA injections they were advertised to be able to like you know specifically target the virus and it seems that what's been happening is it just basically like goes everywhere in people's systems which is why you see like the heart problems for women like the menstrual problems um, clearly like this is not a, a targeted shot and uh, I think that the one of the ways that I try to explain this basically is that like basically nobody knows what they're talking about and the, you know the, the doctors that had endorsed this thing in, in the first place like they don't really understand how this technology works and the people that are utilizing this technology made claims about it that didn't turn out to be true so i think that the vast majority of people that are shilling this stuff don't really know how it works and the people who unleashed it upon the world don't also don't know how it works so we're in a very precarious position it's like kind of um 
it was hoping that you'd have like a device that would be akin to like a targeted um, a, a targeted missile and instead like the missile just like explodes all over a city and you're like oh shit like what just happened so it's like it's like something is wrong with the technology and I don't think that anyone involved in the process really wants to admit it. Jordan, do you have you heard any instances of uh, physicians who supported vaccination but now have changed on that? Because, you know, I I think the people at the top are evil, but I also think a lot of health professionals trusted people who, again, the people were supposed to trust on these. Like, for instance, my doctor was pro-vaccine. And I love my doctor. She's a functional medicine doctor. She's not like a big pharma shill or anything like that. And she's, you know, she, she, she didn't force me to get vaccinated, but you know, she, she herself was vaccinated. I don't, I don't think she's evil. I think she trusted people that came out and said, this is a good, this is a good thing. The tests show that this helps or whatever, or maybe they didn't even produce the tests. Um, I think there's a lot of people that have been duped. So have you have you heard of any actual like professionals or people that are credentialed and therefore hold some level of alleged respectability in, in our culture? Have you heard of them like changing their mind and saying, yeah, you know, this whole thing is a big mistake? Yeah, I, I think you're you're making a really important point. And I, and I wish that there are some big names that have done this, like um, Dr. Drew, for example, has come out against the mRNA shots and has been like very much a skeptic of it. And he's kind of been a mainstream personality, so that's been encouraging. But still, like there's still some prominent anti-lockdown doctors who just refuse to get rid of this stuff cost. That's kind of the way that I perceive it is that they're like, oh yeah, you know, like this stuff was probably good for the elderly and it it was it was good at the time. And then we had these mutations and now like it, it's just like the 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 line of reasoning, it, it just doesn't um it, it's not compelling to me that like the, the shots are are still good for old people. Like are you gonna still give them boosters in perpetuity? Like what exactly is the plan? So I think that it's important in this day and age for for those type of people to be more brave and just to state what they're really feeling. Um, I think you're right that like a lot of it comes from people's personal experience and they might particularly feel bad about like telling their kids to get these shots and then reading about this and seeing what happened. And they're like, uh oh, um, this is not a good thing. So I, I. I'm still kind of like not thrilled with how the medical profession has not really been forthcoming enough with this stuff. I think that they need to make more of a clear statement about how bad this stuff is, because then you can avoid um, injuries for other people that are considering it. I think that like, um, obviously I'm not a medical professional, but I've been following this topic since the shots came out. And like, I don't see how anyone can make a rational, compelling case for giving these things to anyone. Um, even if you think that like, you know, the the, the shots worked uh, tremendously for elderly people or whatnot when they were first rolled out with the, um, with the first uh, mutation, um, well, they're still not immune to it today. So, you know, it's not like it has any type of like 
long lasting immunity or as we've um, come to recognize any kind of like transmission benefits. So I'm not exactly sure what the point is of anyone taking these shots nowadays. And I wish that more doctors um, and medical professionals who had previously endorsed this stuff would be more clear about that. Well, I left my doctor who I really liked. She was a female doctor and I thought she was very smart and we got into a discussion about the vaccine. She also was trying to force it on my daughters and told my daughter on her way back to Syracuse University to wear a mask and a face shield and was pushing the vaccine. So I had a discussion with her and she was just absolutely adamant about taking the vaccine. And so I, I left her and, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of other people who are not a lot, but some who've done the same. I will say it's interesting, and I had this conversation with my daughter too, um, because she went back to college and did not get it. She got a religious exemption, and she and she was really not an outcast because she was still had all of her friends and et cetera. But you know, it was very unusual, and she had a few girls who like wouldn't want to be around her if she went to a meeting for sorority. They would like sit, you know, the six feet apart. And she's like, now it's funny to start hearing from some of these young women because now they're scared. You know, they're scared of hearing all of this, what the long-term consequences would be. And of course, most of them were forced into taking it so they could go to school. Um, but I also had a conversation this week with a family friend uh, who's been in great shape his entire life um, and is suddenly suffering you know, health issues that he can't really explain. And he's been to uh, numerous specialists and he's like, I, I think it was the shot. And he's like, I took it, you know, because a lot of people did because they're elderly parents, they were sick or just older. And uh, he's like, I really blame that. I wish I would have done what you guys did. And so, but those are private conversations. It's, it's going to be very hard to extract that publicly, you know, from anyone uh, to your point, Jordan. But it, it, I mean, it, this is where it's headed, right? There has to be some sort of reckoning with, with some quarters, not the medical profession, the public health experts, quote unquote, um, but even maybe some celebrities and others who were pushing this and not just pushing it, but vilifying people who refused to take it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's pretty outrageous that like <laughs> there's just still been zero accountability um, and, and, and the college, like it, it's just, I'm not entirely convinced of like, uh, on the other side of things, you know, you have like Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough, and I like those guys. Um, I'm also like, uh, I think on the good side of things, I haven't seen evidence that these shots are just going to like, you know, hang around and cause blood clots and cause chaos. It seems that like for people that have had a bad reaction, they have continuous problems. But for people who have not had a bad reaction, which, you know, might indicate that the shot just like didn't work functionally and that might be a good thing. But I'm not I'm also not convinced that there's really going to be some type of like long term issues. But of course, like if the shot caused myocarditis, that's obviously a huge problem. Um, but yet I, I think that like my perspective on this has always been a little different than a lot of these people. Like um, I, I think Dr. Robert McCullough was always saying like, you know, we just needed like these early treatments and whatnot. And I think Dr. Malone is in a similar camp. Um, 
But for me, it was just like this entire thing was just so overblown that the idea that we need to introduce all of these pharmaceutical products was is like part of the problem. Like the idea that you need to like introduce all this foreign crap into people's bodies um, to deal with what amounted to a cold or not as bad for, for, for like the vast majority of the population. So that's why like I, I, I think that again, like what I've just been stressing for like three years now is that the big thing here is the, I, the, the hysteria that was um, manifested into the population and I'm much more interested in how that happened than how um, I, I think that some people need to take more of an expanded macro view on this instead of like looking at what happened in like New York and Wuhan and like, oh, my God, you know, we need to like throw some like pills at these people to figure it out. And like I'm, I'm all for like having, you know, everyone having an open discussion about that. But um, I still don't we still haven't gotten to the bottom of like why this happened in the first place. And I think that's like the most important thing is to like, you know, find the, uh, the patient zero of the narrative <laughs> who, who generated the hysteria. And, and like, of course there was a lot of weird stuff that happened in China, but it still remains unclear. And, you know, I hope that these uh, Republicans with all their investigations or supposed investigations that they have planned, like they might want to look into that too. Um, obviously, I'm not uh, super optimistic that they'll do anything <laughs> beneficial at all, but it's it's an inter it's an area of mine that I'm still very much intrigued about, and and I wish that there were people with vast resources like the U.S. government or you know the the opposition party in Congress that would be able to really get to the bottom of this stuff. So. So along those lines, to what extent is the government still um, like pressuring or requiring people to to get these shots? Um, I know that in in putting pressure on non-government entities about vaccine vaccinations, for example, um, people like I know that the hospitals were required to make people get vaccinated before procedures, right? If I went in and I needed to have like, let's say I, um, you know, I broke my arm or I needed some, some minor surgery that the hospital would force me to get vaccinated or I wouldn't be able to have the procedure. And the hospital forced me to do it because the government forced the hospital to force people. So are those things happening still um, as far as school goes, um, I know that that I read last week that the DOJ is still trying to force ma masks on uh, airline to on airline tra on travelers. So, do you know if we still are seeing these requirements to be vaccinated um, across our our culture and our society? Yeah, so so I talked to like a lot of doctors that are working in hospital systems, and, and they're very much like the bureaucracies are very much still trying to push the masks up on the doctors and on the patients. Like if you're going in to, um, they're still doing like these, these ridiculous heat maps about the COVID cases. You know, they're still like drunk on these like CDC policies and, and guidance materials. So you run into that a lot. And, and yet I, I have heard plenty of cases of universities requiring boosters for their students 
And like depending on how like baseline uh, left wing the school is, it's either like the students um, just comply and the parents want them to comply or there's a little pushback. Like from what I understand at, at Duke University, there was some big pushback and they they may have gotten rid of the booster, the, the new booster mandate. So this is like the third booster or whatever. But yeah, it, it's totally crazy. And these these administrators, these college administrators and hospital administrators are, are the worst of the worst. You know, they hold like basically pointless jobs other than to tell people what to do. So this is like a big power trip for them. They're like flight attendants in these industries. And it's um, at least like, you know, in most of America, I think that this era is probably coming to an end, which is why you see like the Davos people like don't really they don't really talk about it this week because they realize that like that that sticking power is kind of gone so they're trying to find like the next um big moment of hysteria to like steal our steal our rights and, and curb our liberties but uh, it definitely seems that in an academic setting like you see photos of these classrooms and there's still like 50 percent of the kids wearing masks even though there's no mandate it's it's it, it's so absurd and, and ridiculous it's just like I get that they're just accommodating their, their cult ideology and they just don't want to accept the fact that like they're just putting stuff on their faces for no reason. It, it, it's like it's a religion um, and, and their their cult leader, <laughs> Fauci, I don't know if you guys saw that the um, I loved his New York Times exit interview where the New York Times reporter <laughs> quiet like quietly mentions a few times that. Fauci has like all of these all these paintings of Fauci in his house from his fans and there's like all these bobbleheads. It was it was probably the, the creepiest thing. And I actually give the New York Times credit for pointing that out, that like it just gives a lot of color to the kind of person he is and the kinds of people who have been running our country. You know, not just Fauci, but like all these insane people like Peter Hotez and these Vax promoters are just all really weird, bizarre people. Um, I love your point about, you know, the totality of taking a big step back and the, how this all originated, because it wasn't just the vaccines. It was the 15 days to stop the spread. It was the social distancing, keeping our kids out of school. Um, you know, uh, it was just we were part of a teeny tiny handful of people from the very beginning who really opposed all of this, um, including the 15 days to stop the spread, uh, calling out the bogus data in the Murray models, um, Murray model and uh, Ferguson. Um, but we, this goes back to Donald Trump. And I'm curious, Jordan, I know we've had discussions about this list had, and, and we have too that this whole hysteria, this hysteria, the pseudoscience behind not just social distancing and lockdowns, but then the vaccines, unfortunately, this all started uh, in the Trump White House, and he's still defending the use of the vaccines. I think he gave an interview this week touting the claim that 100 million people were saved from, uh, from these vaccines. So, Jordan, talk a little bit about that, the political ramifications for him as he's running for president again, um, and just politically how this all will unfold, because it, 
Trump was obviously initiated this. He created the coronavirus uh, task force. He really put Fauci and Burks in center stage, handed over the reins of the economy to them, unfortunately. Um, But there are other politicians who have culpability in this, too, including Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He, you know, has been more forthcoming in recognizing that a lot of this was a mistake, but he's got some issues with this, too. How will this play out? It wasn't an issue really in 2022, should have been, um, but it, I think it might be in 2024. How was this going to all uh, unfold politically in the presidential race? Yeah, I think you've seen on social media that a lot of people are disappointed with the former president for his continuing endorsement of the vaccines. Like he just he just doesn't want to drop it. Uh, I don't know if you can attribute it to stubbornness. But like from what I understand, he certainly understands that this stuff is not working and not good. But I think like as the injuries pile up and as people continue to see the reality um, and you're seeing this a little bit in the left wing press is that they're starting to like point fingers at him for. And I think that'll eventually be the narrative is that the vaccine sucks because like Trump rushed it out or whatever. But. I think that he should absolutely get ahead of this and his supporters, even like Trump's paid supporters, can't really discuss the issue um, straight up in a concise manner because they know how much he botched this one. And it's not necessarily that he has to like account for the past, but I think it's time to move on from that narrative. And when people ask about it, he can at least change the messaging a little bit instead of saying that he saved uh, millions of lives. It's just like cringeworthy at this point. I, I don't understand why he continues to do it. I don't think it's helpful for his political aspirations. I mean, I can't imagine that any Trump supporters are are, are still down, like your average MAGA person is still down with the vaccine. So um, it, it's just it's just very strange to me. Uh, I, I think that like, you know, Trump lives down here and he's kind of just um, has his team of advisors that probably won't address this with him. And he, you know, watches Fox News and plays golf. So like, you know, I think he's just like out of the picture. And speaking of Fox News and all of these um, right wing establishment media organizations, they were also really bad on these shots, so they're not going to address it too much either. And they were also bad on the lockdowns and the masks, and you know, your, our favorite personalities were really bad on this stuff. So I think it's just like basically Trump has forced himself into an echo chamber a little bit, um, and he doesn't. I don't think he realizes how bad it is on the outside and how much it has impacted people's lives. The the negative um, results from this. Operation Warp Speed crap. So I, I think that at least on the other side, um, DeSantis in particular has taken a lot of moves to target Big Pharma. And um, he was probably I, I think he's the only governor in America that's actually like talking about the negative implications from the vaccines. Um, and yet Florida was locked down for. I think like eight weeks um, and I think that all all governors, all, all elected officials can admit that they got this one wrong. 
But I, I, you know, I'm still like super supportive of what DeSantis has done in Florida because he's gotten it mostly right out of everyone else. And my view of politicians is that like basically don't judge them personally and whatever you can get out of them. If you're getting a lot out of them, you can support them. Um, So just kind of like use them as instruments or vehicles for to ideally protect your sovereignty and your individual liberty. And if they're doing that, then like I'm very supportive of that. Obviously, that does not include pushing um, mRNA shots. I think DeSantis is planning on actually doing investigations into the pharmaceutical company's um, disinformation. And that's certainly something no other governor has done. Um, but back to back to Trump on this, you you would like to see him at least admit that the lockdowns were a mistake. Um, and I, I mean, I'm not. You know, I think if you wanted to take if you want to take the vaccine, take the vaccine. I don't think that should have probably been the attitude of the governor or, or the government, right, or Trump when they did warp speed. But I guess that was the the conditions under which they would develop something at warp speed was that everybody would basically be forced to take it and there would be no liability. But it's definitely disappointing to see medical professionals, along with our our elected officials, completely buy into this idea that we're going to start locking up healthy people you know i mean nowhere and 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 it isn't even just that the vaccines are physically hurting people or having some sort of effect on their health whether it's blood clots or myocarditis or whatever but people's mental health went to shit for that time i mean you have kids that are developmentally at a, like behind there's at least a million kids that just like disappeared off of the the education grid, right? They didn't do the remote uh, education. So kids are behind educationally. They're mentally damaged because instead of socializing with their peers, they are even more addicted to the internet and like TikTok and, and so on. It just seems that there should be more people coming out and just saying, this lockdown was atrocious and this is this should never have happened. So now that there's a Republican co- controlled Congress, do you expect to see anything done about like a review or um, oversight on the way that the whole coronavirus uh, episode was conducted? Do, do, do you have any optimism about that? Um no, not really. <laughs> I think that Congress is uh, is not the institution that we will see actually digging into this stuff. They've they've um, what I have been tracking through both the Senate and the House GOP side is they're basically going to like pin this on China. And yes, China has a lot of culpability in this era, but they're not going to take responsibility for anything they did because they were all complicit. So um, especially with a political operative like Kevin McCarthy running the show ultimately and Mitch McConnell, who's basically on the other side. um, And I'll give McCarthy some credit that he's not as bad as McConnell, but there's certainly not going to be time for um, thinking about where they went wrong and whatnot. Uh, I don't think that Congress 
Although there are some senators and congressmen who are genuinely interested, genuinely interested in getting to the bottom of this, I don't think that Congress will actually produce a report or do a series of investigations. I, I hope they prove me wrong, but being in this space for uh, this this amount of time, I I haven't ever seen a compelling congressional investigation that has uncovered anything that is like beneficial to the interests of the American citizen. Uh, so I just don't see it. I, I don't see it happening. I, I hope it happens. And there are legislators who reach out to me from time to time and talk about what they're doing on this front. But I am not convinced. I would be pleasantly surprised. I'm, I'm hoping to be pleasantly surprised. I think um, one thing, Jordan, people want to see, especially those who've had so many parents. I mean, there isn't a parent, including myself, who didn't see some detrimental effect on your children. Um, to the extent that they can hold public trials of these individuals, and you're right, China is China, that's fine. But on behalf of the parents whose children suffered, some who committed suicide, their lives unalterably changed, whether it was scholarships, whether it was job, whatever it was, the military, is to have these so-called experts get Randy Weingarten in front of Congress in a televised night, you know, nighttime performance like January 6th. Have the head of the uh, American Pediatric Association, have the head of the American Medical Association, have them there and at the same table have parents explaining how their kids suffered or committed suicide or how their lives changed or um, and not even about the vaccines necessarily and have them confront publicly what they've done because they continue to escape any public accountability or culpability or even public shame, public humiliation. You know, have them on television while a parent confronts Randy Weingarten to tell her what happened. She won't care because these are soulless monsters, obviously, who would still be doing this to children if they could. But I think that that would in some way gratify the, at least the American people who understand the, the gravity, the, the catastrophe that came out of these lockdowns. I think that's something that Republicans can do and should do. I mean, we should just do nothing but public trials. This would just be one of them. Um, but I think that would sort of satisfy satisfy the justified bloodlust that parents and just regular Americans have over, you know, what started almost three years ago. Yeah, I agree with you. At least use it. You know, the um, the members of that's the, actually an interesting strategy, because as you guys are aware, the Congress loves a good, uh, good TV show for entertainment purposes. So at least give the people who were harmed a platform to tee off on these people. I, I totally agree with that. I don't expect that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I agree that that would be that would be important and that would be needed. You know, I, these organizations are no friend of Republicans. I mean, they haven't been. These are organizations that are clearly that have been for years, the public school unions doing whatever they can. to. So but you're right, Liz, they probably won't. But if you want to call out these interest groups, these lobbying groups, these unions, et cetera, who've done nothing for except for two generations trying to destroy the Republican Party, this is a great chance to retaliate. 
I mean, for numerous reasons, but more so on behalf of everyone who suffered from this. No, I agree. I mean, there would be nothing better than to have a congressional hearing where these these the Randy Weingarten types and these other enthusiasts, these lockdown enthusiasts and these vaccine enthusiasts um, were were called to account. But I, I think Jordan's right. From what I've read, the kinds of uh, hearings that we're going to get are going to be things about like what happened in Wuhan and why isn't China sharing the genome with us of the original virus or the current viruses that's, you know, raging through China right now? Um, I don't think it's going to be I, I know that I've heard that Comer is going to call Fauci. But, you know, Fauci hit hit tapped out. Right. As soon as it I'm became done. obvious that the Republicans were going to win the Congress, you know, he um, you know, he he hit, he hit eject and got out of the government. So he. I don't know if he he we compelled to testify. You know what I mean? I don't know if he's going to they can force him to come or he can say, hey, go go fuck yourself and, you know, litigate it until the Republicans may not have control or nobody cares anymore. You know, so I don't I don't think any of these people are going to be held accountable. But I am concerned about the people who lost jobs, especially federal employees like in our military. You know, there's a lot of people that left our military because they refused to get the shot. And I I just read, I think you would know maybe more about this, Jordan. And if so, if you could talk to our audience about it. I just read that they lowered like the cardiac health threshold for pilots. Um, I don't know if that's related to the vaccine or not, but the FAA lowered the threshold for like your cardiac health, which is important when you're a pilot. Um, so you don't have a heart attack while you're flying a giant, you know, multi-ton metal missile basically in the air and you don't lose consciousness or something. I don't know, Jordan, have you heard anything about that? And if so, do you know if that's related to like complications with the vaccines? Yeah, so I, I've seen some of the reporting, but like it's not super clearly sourced what exactly is going on there. There was also those reports that came out prior to Davos that these uh C-suite executives are looking for unvaxxed pilots to take them around in helicopters there. So I found that a little interesting. <laughs> it really makes you wonder what, like how many of these uh, ruling class folks actually complied and how many of them just like wanted to tell us to do stuff while they looked at the, the shots and they're like, you know, don't get that shit near me. You know, I'm not taking that, but uh, I'm happy to impose that upon the world. So that's kind of my view is that a lot of people know what's going on, um, but it, it's unclear. But I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'd certainly like to have more unvaxxed pilots uh, flying. At least there's two people in the seat. That that kind of makes me more comfortable because like all these stories about people suddenly dying is, is kind of terrifying. So I, I support the, the two seat policy. I wonder how many um, of our overlords flying private jets to Davos um, requested un unvaccinated pilots. Do you think Albert Borla did before he headed over there? By the way, I'm sure you saw that confrontation with Rebel News. I thought that was so just courageous of them. They were just, they were hounding Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, about the vaccines. And of course, all of a sudden, the guy's been yapping his trap for two years about the vaccine, doesn't have anything to say. Yeah. That was an incredible clip. Um, Borla, for an interesting point about him 
and the vaccine is that he was actually, I don't know if you guys remember, but he was scheduled to visit Israel and they had the, um, the vax mandate in place for travel, which I fervently disagree with and it is upsetting. But the point is that Borla <laughs> waited a very long time to take the shots if he ever did and he was non-compliant. So they had to like arrange a special carve out. And then there's a quote from his visit with Netanyahu and Netanyahu, um, it, it's, in, it's, in a, it's in a book that was published, I think, by someone from the Wall Street Journal. And basically the conversation is that Netanyahu, who you know, was so pro-Pfizer mRNA, you know, bought all of these shots for Israel at an enormous price, got totally you know, taken the cleaners. Um, they had awful policies there. But anyway, so Netanyahu asks Borla, basically, like he's like, hey, my wife wants to know when you're going to actually take the shots because you told everyone that they're all great and you haven't taken it. So my wife, Sarah, like she really wants to know what's going on here. So I think that was a really revealing part of the, of, of the story. And I, I think that's been a lot of the elite's mentality is that they want you to take the shots and then they actually like you know, privately are very skeptical about it, even the CEO of Pfizer. I had not heard that story. That's that's fantastic. But I do. And I, I'm sure you watched this, too, Jordan. I saw it, but I didn't watch it. But um, Borla was on a panel at Davos. Um, what happens 100 days till the next pandemic? I'm not sure exactly what that was about, but um, I'm sure it's a fascinating, <laughs> fascinating discussion of what we should uh, prepare for next. Who's going to believe this? You know, like, I don't know what they've got up their sleeve or whatever, but at this point, who is going to believe any anything? I mean, is there, are they going to try and say it's a climate emergency? So we all have to like lock downs and we can't have gas stoves. I, I don't know, but I just, I think too many people um, have been red pilled, so to speak, about whether our government and certainly this like shadow world government has our best interests at heart. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think they're, they're going to try something else. You know, they've been, if you saw Al Gore's thing about like, you know, there's 600,000 thermonuclear bombs being detonated over the skies because of climate change every day or something crazy. And, and he, I think like the climate hoax just, just isn't working. And, and I'm happy about that. And the, it would have potentially had more value had they not just tried to do the whole COVID hysteria thing for three years. So I think that I would be wary of like these these attempts to uh, like the cyber stuff that they're warning about at Davos. I think that might be the next angle attack, which is obviously terrifying to think about, like the cyber winter stuff. But um, I, I think that they'll probably try to force a you know so-called black swan event upon the population at some point in the in the near future. We have that to look forward to at least. And you know what's sad is most people will have learned nothing, right? They'll go right back into crouch mode. They'll go right back into lockdown, mask, whatever whatever we're told to do the next time. Uh, I'm not so sure that, I think some eyes have been open, but overall we just live among a humanity of sheep. Well, just think of all the money that these people were paid, right? I mean, it was quite lucrative to like not have to go to work or get all these subsidies and kept getting all of these 
extended unemployment. I don't know if they, they if they could do that again. Um, but if they wanted a like a lockdown or some sort of like kind of some modified lockdown without giving out all this money like they did the first time, I mean, it's going to turn into Lord of the Flies like really quick. Yeah, I think that with this era, people are just at least in the United States, there's significant pockets of the country where we're just like not going to do that thing again. So I hope people stay stay true to that. Um, I'm very uh pessimistic about Europe's long lasting ability to withstand one of these events, especially with the Ukraine stuff going on. Um, they're in a really weak position, but I'm still, you know, down in Florida, it's hard not to be optimistic about the potential for the future of humanity. <laughs> so I think we have that going for us in the US, but um, for Europe and all of these places that were super, super compliant, um, they're just it, it just whatever the next crisis is, they'll run into their homes and, and hide forever if the government tells them to do so. Well, Jordan, we know that you have to run and we appreciate you as a friend and just a warrior a fighter on this from the very beginning. And do you want to tell people where they can find your work uh, in your coverage? Yeah, sure. You can go to dossier.substack.com, the dossier on Substack. And that's basically where I write about all this craziness that's happening in the world. And I try to, uh, there's a bunch of um, pretty well-sourced reports on everything from Davos to COVID to um, all this other craziness. And I have a good time there. So it's a great publication, um, Substack, and it allows independent creators to flourish. So um, big fan of it and big fan of you guys. And thanks for having me on so much. Really appreciate it. All right, Thanks, Jordan. Jordan. We'll back soon. Okay. Well, Jordan, you can hang up. And Julie and I are going to get to our Gen X business. So. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, so you're free. Time. You've been released. Um, <laughs> so we're going to get rid of the millennial. Thanks. We talk Gen X. Hi, Jordan. Thanks. All right. She's millennial. <laughs> he's a cool millennial. Like, there's not a lot, but I would say, you know, he's a good one. There's some. Okay. So. Yeah. No, like him. And people really should read his work because he really digs into the details and the data uh, links to other work. So um, if you're looking. Yeah, at and he was really outspoken early on, which is um, brave. You know, he was very brave and outspoken immediately. So you got to give him credit for that. Yes, for sure. So a lot's happened this week. We we don't have time to get to it. It was entertaining to see all the pivots now on more of Joe Biden's classified documents. That seems to be an ongoing saga. People have all kinds of opinions as to why this is happening. Um, but he's not answering many questions, neither is Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary. Um, so that was, I think that was really, and the Davos stuff. I mean, that's, that's pretty hilarious. That cor- that vintage Corvette that he has in racing green, that is su- such a great car. It makes me so sad that it's his car. Whenever I see the footage on TV of him in, the, in that Corvette, which is notable because, you know, he had classified documents in the garage where that <laughs> Corvette was. Um, but God, that Corvette is so nice. I'm just so distracted. I'm like, God damn it, that car is awesome. But then... Now it's ruined. That's what I said to Ace. I go, that car. And he just goes, it's ruined. He's like, so it's over. 
like, and who right. bought that car? Was it Barisma? Was it China? Yeah, I know. <laughs> who paid for that car? Owns that vehicle. Uh, well, we'll it could have been from his cushy Amtrak position too, wasn't he? Like, have didn't he? Was he like on the board of Amtrak or something shifty like that? I don't know. It was either in between um, his teaching classes at Penn and uh, oh, some of, mm-hmm. some of, of his other made up lies. Going to uh, black church when he was a child. Sure. Yeah. And he went, all, all right. right, here's our 80s quiz before we sign off. Well, I also, I have an 80s thing for you too, but you go first. Oh, so oh let's do you. Oh, no, you're, yeah, you're, you, you go first. Okay. So Liz, 40 years ago today, January 20th, 1983. I just still freak out when I say four years. One of the greatest albums of the 80s, maybe of all time, was released. Do you know what it is? If not, I'll give you a hint of one of the songs, one of the tracks on the album. Okay, give me a hint. It's like, you would, you would say one of the greatest albums of all time came out in the 80s. It's like, there's a lot of great albums that came I out in the know. 80s. All right, but this was so prolific because it really was one of the, there were a lot of soundtrack albums of the 80s, so I shouldn't say this, but a lot of hits off of this song. All right, I'm going to give, I'm going to start with an easy, should I start with an easy one? I'll start with an easy one. Okay, rock, rock till you drop. Oh my, I can hear you clicking. I'm not clicking. You just muted. I can. I did not mute. I did not mute. Rock, rock till you drop. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Photograph. Give me another clue. Photograph. Oh, it's probably some, it's probably some metal, but is it, it's some metal bandish, isn't it? Well, I would call it more of a hair band. Is it? Yeah. Okay. That's not my shit, Julie. You know that this hair band, death metal crap. I'm not about that. So spill it. I don't know what it is. It's probably going to be some like Cinderella or Pantera right. or some shit like that. Easy one. Rock of Ages. Right. What is it? Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. Okay. Rock of Ages. Okay. We would not That's... have been friends in high school. What? We would not have been friends in high school. No, we would not. We would not be friends, but we we would be friends later. So, um, so here's my like Gen X. Mine isn't '80s proper. It's Gen X. So, um, I saw a trailer for a movie coming out soon. I think in a couple months. That's based on a book. That's like a very important Gen X book. Oh, well, I know a, this. Gen, a girl book. Do you want to guess what it is? Um. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. That's right. So that book was like one of the most yes. important books for a child. It, came, it actually was published in 1970 by Judy Bloom. Um, I read all her books. I loved her books. Um, but when I, I watched the trailer, it looks really good. Rachel McAdams plays the mother, Margaret's mother. Okay. And um, Kathy Bates plays her grandmother. Um, but so I will probably see it just because. I'm a, you know. is, it a is it an updated version? Is the girl a transgender? And no, no, no. Let me get to that because when I was reading about um, the article, I think it was in Variety or uh, one of those entertainment rags, and it talked about how at the time, and again, this book was written in 1970, and and it's important. All teenage girls read this book, and the big part of it was Margaret. I think she was 11 or 12. Was she wanted to wear a bra? You know, that's a big deal when you're, 
I guess in the olden days, it was a big deal that you could get your bra and you would get your period. And so the book talked about like sanitary napkins, which was just at, at the time, it was so controversial, you know, that it was just so edgy. Parents yeah. were like so yes. upset. Upset, and now I'm thinking they're teaching kindergartners about fist fucking <laughs> in school, <laughs> but they couldn't. Where they have like books like gender queer about anal sex and blowjobs in school libraries, but like, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Was too was too much because they talked about sanitary napkins and um, spin the bottle. I think there was a spin the bottle scene. Um, yeah. In there. No- Teaching in third grade how boys can get periods and right I, I mean it's just it it's so incredible how how much times have changed but yeah I'm the the book is the movie is set you know in the 70s so it's not like it's not like the 2023 version of you know Margaret getting her first uh you know testosterone shot and her top surgery consult or something you know it's Getting it, her it's breath 70. removed by a psychotic doctor. Right, exactly. By, yeah. So I'm excited for that. I did. Did you read all of Judy Bloom's books, Julie? Yes, all of them. I read Deanie and Wifey. Remember Wifey was like so salacious because there was like some sex in it. I mean, it just, it just so amazing to look back at Judy Bloom's books and some of them, not all of them, but some of them, the ones dealing with preteens and teenagers, you know, were a little, uh, you know, they were about sex and, you know, hormones and becoming a, a man or, you know, moving towards being a man or woman and having just that cursory discussion in a book being so controversial and just looking at where we are now and how, extreme you know just how quickly we've gone from that to just crazy almost no not almost like literally perversion I don't know that would be a good article because Judy Bloom was really under heavy criticism for using her books to sexualize children instead of just talking about the realities it wasn't you know, she was promoting anything. She was just covering what happens to to young girls, you know, naturally and just socially, et cetera. And that would be an interesting comparison. Yeah. Of how her books were covered and her criticism versus, you know, what now this craziness is just shoved down our kids' throats. But yeah, I don't even think I don't even think you could check that out of the school library or if you could like they would call your parents and just say, hey, we, we just want to check and make sure it's okay. Like, cause there was like kind of a male equivalent to, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret, called Then Again, Maybe I Won't, which is about a young boy who's 12 or 13. And, you know, he starts to get erections, not, you know, and none of this is like in a salacious sexual way. It's just right. what happens when you're a boy is you start, you know, your penis has a brain of its own when you're 13. And, you know, so it was just very de- kind of descriptive rather than, um, you know, proactive or, you know, in- active. But if you wanted to check out those books at your high school or junior high school, I think they would call your parents to make sure it was OK. Uh, but now you know, it's totally different. So anyway, say- that's um, that is our show. Is you, you didn't answer the question. So for our listeners who don't know, the name of the album is Pyromania by Death. Oh, Lo- it's. Oh my God. 
you're like a one trick pony. I mean, it's like Def Leppard this, Def Leppard that. So, I mean, you got to branch out, Julie. I mean, to what? More to, there's yeah. more to music than Def Leppard. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll branch out to Depeche Mode, Liz. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and that, All right. You can't see me, but I'm making the like horn sign with my 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 fingers, making <laughs> horns. So I wonder, you've got to ask yourself, how much damage did Julie Kelly's hair do in the 80s to the ozone layer? Well, I'm just guessing based on her music taste that you had a very big hair helmet. Oh Am I correct? God. Yes, yes. And I did we too. Should, you know what? One day we should post photos of us from the 80s and attach oh it to our, with our hair. You had big hair too. Come on. You didn't? I did. I do. I do. But still, but yes, I had a hair helmet for sure. Um, and I had like a huge purse and I carried around like one of these like 64 ounce bottles of like all set or hairnet, you know? Yep. And a teasing comb and it just literally like Hey, remember the remember the curling iron that had you put butane in it and so you, it was like the clicker because God forbid one of your curls came out, you would have it in your bag, remember, and you could click it yeah. on and heat it up and you could refresh in the Oh, that's right. In the, what in about the, crimping? Do you remember crimping iron? Um, well, no, I didn't crimp, but I, I got the perms. I didn't crimp either, but I know people who did crimp, but that's like such an 80s thing, crimping, geez, or it's banana that, clip. Well, crimp now, I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look All like right. real. <laughs> we are, we are walking down memory lane, but but cut, tune in next week, so we will be doing it all over again, and we'll be talking about news of the day, the crazy news of the day, which we're never short of because we live in interesting times. So if you haven't already, subscribe to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz on iTunes, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.